Welcome to Commercial Real Estate Matters, your go-to source for the latest industry news and insights. We bring you up-to-date information on the real estate market and discuss the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to help you make informed decisions. And now, we invite you to join us as we explore the exciting world of commercial real estate. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Commercial Real Estate Matters. I'm your host, John Powell, with Phoenix Commercial Properties based in Raleigh, North Carolina. And today we're joined by a man who has achieved tremendous success in his 40-plus year career in commercial real estate. He is respected throughout the Research Triangle region of North Carolina for being a savvy broker, for building multiple successful real estate firms, and especially for mentoring some of the area's most successful commercial brokers. He is someone who has helped take a local company all the way to Wall Street and is someone who is consistently focused on his family, his faith, and his community. Today, Rex Thomas remains involved in the community as an investor, a mentor, and a fundraiser for many wonderful organizations throughout the Raleigh-Durham area. Rex, we're honored to have you with us today, and welcome to Commercial Real Estate Matters. Well, I'm glad to be here. It's a pleasure. I tell you what, Rex, you and I have known each other for a long, long time, and you have truly seen it all during your career in commercial real estate. But take us through the early years. How did you get started, and who were some of your mentors back in the day? Well, I started in commercial real estate in 1980 with a little company called Highwoods Properties. It was two people, a secretary and a receptionist. Uh, and that's how I got started. And it was a result of Temple Sloan, and most people know that name. Temple uh, encouraged me to go with Highwoods, and I did. And some 14 years later, we took it public. So it was a very short period of time. It seemed like a long time but at the time, but it really was short. Rex, in fact, that was going to be a follow-up in terms of your time at Highwoods. What an amazing story. I would love, we could spend the entire time together talking about Highwoods, but as y'all built the portfolio from, I'm going to say, a small landlord, locally based here in Raleigh area, and y'all began adding product to that, when did y'all really feel like it was time to visit Wall Street? Well, visiting Wall Street was not something that we intended to do. It was really an afterthought as a result of the banks pushing commercial real estate out of their portfolios. And so in 1989, I found we were on $90 million of notes jointly and severally, and I was on those notes. Oh, my goodness. And the banks wanted us out of the portfolio because they don't want to continue to finance commercial real estate. So we found that either we need to pay it off or we need to figure out how to get out of those notes. And as a result of an interview I had one morning with a man he asked me if, we'd, if I'd ever thought about taking Highwoods public as a REIT. And I said, what's a REIT? That's a four-letter word. <laughs> and uh, he explained it to me. And he had uh, been involved with the Hardy's company and yes. doing a REIT yes. with their restaurants. So as a result of that, I got a copy of the portfolio or the prospectus of Oliver Carr Realty in Washington, D.C. It was the first office REIT in the United States. So I took that to our partners. We looked at it diagnosed it, and as a result of that, we took it public some three years later. It was a $220 million IPO, and that was 94. And as a result of being on the roadshow, selling the stock to stockbrokers and investors and institutions, uh, Raleigh-Durham was named one number one place in the United States to do business. First time it ever appeared in a 
perfect timing. So it was perfect timing. And the IPO market was closed during that period of time. And all of a sudden, after that announcement, the IPO market opened and we were able to take it public during that window. And as soon as we took it public, the window closed. Oh, my goodness. It was divine intervention. (laughs) I know those were exciting times. I've seen some pictures of you, and I can only imagine the excitement that y'all felt as a team standing at at Wall Street and ringing the bell and announcing that. So since that time, Highwoods has continued to grow. And in our market, I would deem them best of best in terms of landlords. What markets have they grown into? And maybe even do you, do you know how many square feet they may own today? I don't know how many square feet they own, but it's about a $5 billion market cap. When we took it public, it was a $220 million IPO. Gracious. And we acquired other companies and their portfolios. And they were on a buying spree. And so for about five years, we were buying companies all over the southeast and even in some in the northeast and all all the way into St. Louis. And so a few years later, they started pruning that portfolio and shed some of those companies. So now they're mainly in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida, and Tennessee. And as we look today across the... North American landscape, really, those are probably the the states that are truly thriving and have been for, for decades. But even as we may enter a storm later this year, it seems like the southeast is pretty well insulated. So they're probably going to be, be fine as well. Exactly. And they still have a good dividend of almost 5% annually. So <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with that. I think that's fantastic. Well, I know you manage the leasing team and help build a successful property management team while at Highwoods. But let's talk about the importance of training today's brokers within the industry. What are some key elements that every manager needs to have in their toolbox to mentor and or train their brokers? Well, we we were very intent on training them by and, and actually hiring people who came out of the, the career fields. An example was a Brenda Gibson who was with a bank. Yes. Lee Clyburn who was with economic development. So we yes. looked for people who, number one, were typically married. Number two, they had a family. Number three, they had some debt. Then they were ours. (laughs) So then the key was getting them trained, and that was a very urgent urgent process. And quite honestly, it took years to mentor each one of them. But we would team them up with brokers so that there was some mentorship internally. So oftentimes you might have a junior broker that would align with more of a senior broker so that they could really learn collectively, team on deals, but they would see how that seasoned broker really handled themselves day in, day out. Correct. And I never hired people from other firms. I wanted people that I could train, people who had the work ethics they needed to succeed. And back then, many of our landlords were not sophisticated either. So I had a team of young real estate professionals who were green. So we had to quickly mentor them and get them up to speed in order to be able to service that business. Well, and Rex, uh, kind of not picking from other firms, I've always thought you used to be a man of integrity, and that is one thing, looking way back on it, you just emphasized that to me. Along those same lines, how can brokers set themselves up for success in the industry? Maybe what are a few basic must-dos for brokers? Good point. 
Number one, one of my favorite things with brokers to teach them how to do a daily do list. It was one of the first things I learned when I left college and went to work with the Boy Scouts of America for 12 years. Elaborate on that. To, to learn how to do a do list every day, to, to manage your priorities, and the day before, do a do list and make sure it becomes a habit. And today, even the weekends, I'll do a do list for the Saturday, Sunday. It's just a habit. So I don't go to sleep at night unless I've done my do list for tomorrow. So that do list is so critical to create the discipline for a broker to be able to succeed. And then it comes down to the work ethics and the blocking and tackling, which is a term that Ron Gibson and I used at Highwoods and then at Thomas Lindham Graham I used, and even today at Phoenix. It's so critical to focus on the, the little things that create success, the consistency. You just gave us so many nuggets right there in terms of just strategy and consistency and preparation. I think all those help us create a path for success, but then oftentimes, you know, we've got to prioritize. I call them big rocks, and sometimes it might be the guy that I might not really want to call first thing in the morning, but it's a big rock, and so I need to go ahead and call him first thing. And I try to prioritize those things. That is wonderful. Rex, you're an SIOR, and if I believe you've been had this designation for more than 30 years, and it certainly is one of the highest designations within our industry. When should brokers begin chasing the goal of obtaining their CCIM or obtaining their SIOR? Well, I think CCIM is easier to get because it's totally training. SIR not only involves training, but it also involves production. So an SR is a harder designation to get. Okay. There's about 3,500 SRs across the world, and we meet twice a year in the spring and the fall. And so that's a neat conference. It's, it's really all about training and motivation. And that's the reason I got involved with SR versus CCIM. I'm also a certified property manager. Yes. And I got that in the early 80s when I drew the short straw at Highwoods, and we said somebody <laughs> needs to be a CPM because we're serving these institutions. And unfortunately, I drew the short straws. I still have that today. I have heard over the years that those who had had taken the risk, and really, and it's, and it's an expense as well, I'm sure, to take on property management and do it right, in lean times and in down markets, sometimes that property management really kept you alive, kept your firm afloat. It does. And typically, the property management covers overhead. So yes. your profit then becomes the brokerage side. And and certainly from a marketing and building your brand, you have a signage on those buildings or signage in the elevators and managed by. And so I'm sure that's a that's a benefit yes, as well. It is. Rex, it is a tough industry to not catch the investment bug. What sectors have you felt produce the highest returns for you over the years? Well, I've been involved in office buildings all my career. Office buildings are tough to to make money in because there's so much TI and leasing commissions to pay. And so when a tenant moves out, you have a lot of upfitting to do. Yes. But I've made some money in that. I've also been involved in multifamily for the last 10 years. So that's been a very productive part of my investment part. And have you, sometimes I feel like I want to stay close to home so I can ride by and touch it and I can see where my investment dollars are at. Have you felt comfortable kind of branching outside of our local area to maybe other markets that that you perceive as growing or could could kind of 
become hot? Good question. Everything I've invested in, I've invested in through other partners. Okay. Nothing I've invested in has been just me. But I've always invested with others who put more money in it than I do. And I'm comfortable like with other that. markets, but provided you check them out and you know what's going on in those markets. Some of the apartments that we invested in were really all over the southeast, even in Tennessee. We've okay. done four campus housing projects, one in Reno, one in Cullowee, one in Wilmington, and an, another one that was very, very successful. You mentioned student housing. I think it's our university system across the country is growing, and students are thriving to live that college life. I would think student housing would certainly be a very safe investment and one that, as long as it's a strategic location, then it would certainly be good. As we look ahead to 2023, where do you feel our listeners should be focusing their attention as they prepare to increase their portfolios? Well, today it's, it's really hard for small investors to get involved in commercial real estate. I typically would recommend somebody who is a smaller investor look at a REIT because REITs okay. you can invest in and put a small amount of money in and, and grow that money. It's hard to, for investors unless they got a lot of money to invest in commercial real estate. Some people will buy houses and rent those houses out. You know, that's really residential, not commercial. Some people will buy Chick-fil-A or, or yes. Bojangles or something yes. like that as an investment. But they are very expensive to buy per square foot. And I would think those that have probably long-term leases on them and certainly that national flag or national brand attached, are they're probably a safe, but yet they're a very low return and it seems like I've seen some of those leases are oftentimes fixed as well. So as the cost of living goes up, your rent roll is not going up. And I've always maybe been cautious of some of those investments. Yes, and per square foot, they're very expensive. The problem is if you have a tenant default and they move out, it, maybe even at the end of a lease term, you got a building that's maybe four or $500 a foot and you can't lease it for enough to make sense. Today, with interest rates, it's really compounded the problem of investing in commercial real estate. So it's going to be interesting in this current cycle to see how commercial stands up with those interest rate increases. I would completely agree. And I think the Fed's going to continue raising rates. I love that they've recently only raised a quarter point, where in the past it's been more of three-quarters of a point. I'm starting to see more land leases, certainly in our market and maybe even through the southeast, and some build-to-suits, and then they become investments. Have have you ever looked at those, or do you feel those could be, in case in point, there's a bank, I think, coming on the market that's going to be a land lease with a long-term lease attached. Could those maybe be something our listeners could look at in the future? I've never been successful in land leases. The problem is you don't own the land. And yes. so the, the value is deflated as a result of a land lease. So depending on how long that land lease, even if it's 100 years, it's still, if it's sold, the land lease causes the investment to be lower priced. I think that is fantastic feedback. I've never personally pursued a land lease or really even worked on a deal. I'm starting to see them pop up more, and I feel like it's something I want to learn about and and really explore but you don't own the land. At the no. end of the day, you don't own the dirt, and I'm just very cautious of that. The other thing about land leases is 
they're typically done when somebody can't own the land. They're too expensive to buy. So it's typically done when the land is very expensive. Yes. The, typically when on a land lease, the tenant is going to build a building. So they own the building. So when that land lease expires, the building's gone. Oh, my goodness. Rex, careers in residential and in commercial real estate can become all-consuming, as you and I know, if we're not careful. How were you able to consistently balance your life and break away for family time and community events? Just making a priority. Gets back to the daily do list. I'm involved in my church, involved in a lot of different things. The Boy Scouts I was headed a survey for TBJ. Just yes. a lot of things, but you got to make that a priority. You got to give back to the community. And clients, it's a way of meeting clients as well. Networking, I call it a business of mingling. I love that, a business of mingling. I, I have always loved the fact that when you are networking or at some community events just like that, you have common ground. You're there really not for to build your business or to to interview one another, but you're there to work on, you know, bettering that campaign or working for the common good of those involved. And all of a sudden you realize you have a common thread. And before you know it, you are doing some business together. I think people do business with people they like and people they trust and certainly involving ourselves in the community. What a great way to get to know each other. Exactly. I know one of your passions outside your family and real estate for many years was racing. How did you get involved in racing, and where did that journey take you? Well, I grew up in an automotive environment, which uh, caused me to love cars and love driving fast. But in in the 70s, when I was with the Boy Scouts, I met Richard Petty and went with him to several races. He was my favorite. And so I really started looking at racing. As a result of that, I got involved with a sports bar club and did some autocrossing, and that led me to actually wheel-to-wheel competition. And so I did that for about seven, eight years, racing 55 races. And after I quit that, I didn't get another race car for 10 years. And then I went out to VIR and drove a race car, and it scared me to death. <laughs> and so I decided if I was going to do something, I need to do it on a lower scale. So I started driving in high-speed events. So I've done that a number of times up in the last couple of years. And I decided running 165, 170 down the back straight is foolish. So I stopped that about a year ago. But I can only imagine you had tremendous success, not only certainly throughout your career, professional career, but on the track as well. I know it probably led to many a victory, but also maybe many a disappointment in terms of maybe engine failure or, or malfunction or the, the pit crews not getting you out as fast as you want. But also think you were involved in a pretty significant crash that really... It, it could have been tragic. What, what track was that at? That was at Savannah. But I had a number of crashes over the years. If you don't go fast, you don't have crashes. So, <laughs> And if you hesitate, you lose. So it's all about your instincts. It's all about getting a feel for the car and track time. You know, it's called seat time. So flying a helicopter, flying an airplane yes. takes seat time. So I learned that very quickly that you just got to practice. It's all about practice, like playing golf. And every sure. every track is different, just like every golf course is different. So I went through four racing schools, and that's kind of what led me to race four different tracks. Oh, I love that. Rex, today you enjoy spending time with lifelong friends and your growing family and certainly the team at Phoenix 
we get a chance to spend time with you weekly. You have a passion for improving the community, and you've touched base already a few times on scouting, and I know that's a huge passion of yours. Elaborate on your fundraising efforts over the last few years with the Boy Scouts. Well, I've been raising money for the Boy Scouts for probably 50 years. I started when I was about two. <laughs> but I enjoyed, as a professional scout, I enjoyed raising money because it really, you, you met the top people in a community. And it's a great way of meeting people. So I've been involved in raising money for uh, many years and have really helped show this local council how to raise money. So now I had the membership, so I'm trying to teach them how to raise membership. Well, I know some of our listeners, they may have that common thread as well. One of the events that y'all do here in the Raleigh-Durham area that I have just, I love it every year. I, I kind of dub it Breakfast in the Bowl, but it's at the PNC Arena down on the floor where the Wolfpack plays basketball and the Hurricanes play hockey. But y'all have breakfast for 600, 800 people, I think. But some of your speakers over the years have been so impressive and I know you have an auction the night before, and so really make this a, a wonderful opportunity to give back to scouting. But elaborate or maybe mention a few of the speakers y'all have had over the years because it is very impressive. Well, the one we had last year was George W. Bush, and it was a coup de grace. I don't think yes, we'll sir. top that again. They asked me who we were going to get this year, and I said, we got to go after the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> so we've had some great speakers, men and women, who have talked about their experience in scouting, and that, such as Coach Krzyzewski. Yes. He talked about that as well and how it aligned with his philosophy. So we raised about $2.2 million this year, and the business community has really supported the scouting program as well as many people who have kids in the scouting program. And it really, you think of the impact on lives y'all are having consistently each and every year. That is just fantastic. Rex, I know you're familiar with John Gordon's book, One Word, and at Phoenix Commercial Properties, our company one word is consistency. I always ask each of our guests the same question. What does consistency mean to you? Consistency is doing the right things all the time, not part of the time. And it gets back to daily do list. That's consistent. That's discipline. Yeah. So it's doing the right things, not part of the time, but all the time. I Blocking love, and tackling. There you go. I love that. Rex, one final question. Of a very fruitful career that's including building multiple businesses, teaching so many professionals how to succeed at their craft, and helping start a bank that was tremendously successful, driving 200 miles an hour across the finish line and racing millions of dollars for local organizations. What has been the most rewarding aspect of your journey? Six grandchildren. <laughs> In fact, I had two of them last night. So they woke me up at 6.15 this morning talking to each other. But it's my family and my faith. And that those two things combined. Rex, that is absolutely tremendous. And, and I think it takes us all home, the blessings of family and kind of who we surround ourselves with. And that is a wonderful way to conclude Rex, our time together on Commercial Real Estate Matters is coming to an end, and I can't say thank you enough for the time and energy that you've invested in me. I count myself as being one of the many in our industry who have learned from you and have been blessed by the time that we have spent together. Thank you so much, Rex, for believing in me. I love you. I certainly wish you and Carol so much happiness in the years ahead and in your journey ahead, and I know you're going you're gonna to cross victory lane many, many times 
in the future. You got to finish strong. Well, thanks for being with us today, My Rex. Pleasure. And we look forward to spending a lot more time with you and your family and doing lots of blocking and tackling on a consistent basis. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Commercial Real Estate Matters. We hope you've enjoyed learning about the latest trends and news in the industry. As always, we welcome your feedback and suggestions. Please consider following us on social media or subscribing to this podcast to stay up to date on all the latest news. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to hearing from you.